right. When you walked in this morning, you all received a white rock. You're probably wondering, what do I do with this rock? Number one, you do not throw it at me if you don't like the preaching. Okay? This is not stone the pastor day. I will explain this to you in just a moment. This is part of, this is our gift to you. It's part of uh, the message today. So just, just, just hold on to that and it will make sense in just a moment. How many of you, you, there was a time in your life where you just, had a wake-up call where it was just something that happened, you weren't expecting it, and, and, and you had this dramatic wake-up call. I remember my wife and I, not this summer, but last summer, it was a June day, day before uh, my son Wesley's graduation from high school, and we're sitting just in our living room chatting, and we get a call from Wesley that got in a car accident. How many of you parents, that's like your worst nightmare, right? You're just like, whoa. And, he, and we're like, are you okay? Are you okay? Because I was on 590 behind and hit him, spun him in the middle of 590 during rush hour traffic. So the traffic is coming this way. Wesley is this way. How do you do? And so the car was all missing. He was fine. He was shook up. Everything was good. And uh, thank God Wesley was fine. But for parents, right, that's like, <gasps> you know, you lose your breath. After, I, after Kathleen resuscitated me from passing out, um, everything was fine. And, and, and those wake-up calls aren't fun. Um, I believe that in our spiritual lives, we need wake-up calls. I think we are creatures of habit, aren't we? Are you a creature of habit? You are. You know how I can tell you're a creature of habit? You sat in the same seat this week as you did last week. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, Pastor's right. They say, pastor's right. Look at your name. Pastor's right. Okay. So we, we are, and the, 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 problem with being, the problem with being a creature of, of habit is that you get comfortable, don't you? And when you get comfortable, we can tend not to see our blind spots in our lives. And sometimes it takes a wake-up call to make us realize that maybe we're not headed on the right track. Or maybe there are things in our life that need to be exposed and so it's good to have a wake-up call. And maybe that's that wake-up call where you're just, it's a wrong behavior, a wrong attitude. Uh, we're compromising in a place in our life. And then someone says something to us and we're kind of offended at first, like, how dare you say it? And then all of a sudden it's like, there's a little bit of truth in that. Yeah, I probably haven't been paying much attention in this area of my life or paying attention to, my, to our marriage like I should be or just things. And it all happens to us because we're creatures of habit. And what Jesus does here is what we've been studying is Jesus's words some 2,000 years ago to seven churches in Asia Minor. And now these are literal churches in Asia Minor that Jesus speaks to. And there's seven churches, and out of those seven, there's only two that really Jesus doesn't have any uh, just bad words for. But out of the five, Jesus has some words of correction. What we've been doing is we've been going through these churches and hearing Jesus's words to these churches. And, and really, it's a wake-up call for the church. Jesus is calling these, especially the five churches, back to his heart and what, what, what Jesus sees as important for the church. This is, this is, a, this is a, a wake-up call for the church. Now, I believe that the words that Jesus speaks to those churches 2,000 years ago are as relevant today as they were then. And so I believe it's, it's Jesus speaking to us today. And if we, can, if we can heed these words and realize, hmm, is Jesus saying something to us today? I believe um, that we can, we can learn something uh, very important today. And so 
What we're going to look at is we're going to look at a particular church. I have a map up here for you just to kind of give you a little idea of, of where these churches are. And we're going to be looking at the church in Pergamum t- today. And you can kind of see where, uh, where the Aegean Sea is, Greece down to the lower left, uh, Asia Minor, which is, which is modern-day Turkey uh, today. And so you, you see these churches, and these are the specific churches that Jesus sees. And you can see the top there, Pergamum. This is the church that Jesus is going to speak to um, today. These are literal churches that were there that Jesus speaks to. And, and I want to give you some cultural background, specifically the church in Pergamum, because this, this helps us to understand why they were faced with the compromise that they were faced with, why there may be some churches were moving away from Christ. A lot of the cultural background helps explain why these things happen, and we can really relate that um, to what uh, we're going through today, specifically in our culture today. So um, I want to look at Revelation chapter 2. We're, we're looking at specifically um, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and so I want to I look at Verses 12 through 17 today, and this is Jesus speaking to the church at Pergamum. And starting in verse 12, he says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. So this is Jesus speaking of himself. He has the word of truth. Verse 13, he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, Yet you, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So Jesus actually speaks of, of, of one martyr for him who, who chose not to turn his back on Jesus and give his life for him. Verse 14, Jesus says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. So here's the wake-up call. Here's what Jesus is speaking to the church. You have people there. He's not saying everyone, but there are some people there in the church who hold to the teachings of Balaam. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Who taught Balaam to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols by committing sexual immorality. And we'll talk about what happened there in the desert with the Israelites as they made their exodus from Egypt. Verse 15. Likewise, you also have those who hold again to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we, we talked about that in, in, in past messages, and we'll explain that again in just a moment. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them and with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of them hidden manna. And I will give to him a white stone. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's in the message. Okay, I'm starting to get it, Pastor. All right. So I'm not supposed to throw it at you. Okay, I get it. Um, this white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So let me, let me, give, you, let me give you some background here to the city, because this will help us understand some of the words that Jesus is speaking to the church here. Um, Pergamum was a very busy, busy city steeped in religious paganism. So there, the culture that the Christians lived in was just steeped in this paganism. So they were faced with it everywhere they went, where they lived, where they worked. 
They were faced with paganism and this worship of false gods. You had a God in Pergamum. You had a God for everything. And you had temples that were dedicated to them that you could go to and actually worship. So if you wanted like a God of good times, um, Dionysus was that God. Um, Dionysus was the God of wine and fun. You go to that temple. That's the God of wine and fun. Um, If you wanted the all-powerful God, that was the God Zeus, the king of Mount Olympus. Um, Zeus was considered the king of kings. Um, If you wanted a God of good crops, um, Demeter was that goddess of good harvest. So they had this plethora of gods and goddesses that they could worship. And so the city had great power in, in and the worship of many deities. But it's interesting that Jesus starts by giving his words to Pergamum by saying, I'm the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I'm the one that has the truth. Jesus is the one with the ultimate authority and power, not these gods of Pergamum. And so it would be easy for the church here to compromise. And Jesus warns them about compromising their faith that it would ultimately um, lead to their demise. And so I want to look at a couple things here because Jesus does have some good news for the church and then he has some, some, some bad news. He's, he, he shares with them, here's what you're doing well and here's where some in the church have compromised. And I think this is a good word for us uh, today to hear. Amen? Everybody say amen. So this is a good word for us to hear this. So let me give you, let me start off with... The good news, okay, and then we'll get to the bad news. But here's the good news. Jesus does encourage them for their faithfulness in the face of persecution. And so what he said here was that they refused, that some in the church here refused to bow to Caesar and say that he's Lord. And so in this culture, people were required to actually burn incense to Caesar. Yet, yet many of these believers refused in Christ to burn incense to Caesar and call him Lord. And so Jesus understood the overwhelming pressure of the enemy in that society. And Jesus even speaks of this one person, Anipas, who who gave his life for Jesus. So he says, listen, I know that you are faced with this, that the enemy is right there, that that you're faced with this this extreme... uh, 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 to the point to where you have to give your life, the, the, this extreme persecution. So I understand that it's in your face, that, that you can't run and hide. That, that you can't, you can't, you know, either they know that, you, that you're worshiping these pagan gods or you don't. And if you don't, it, 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 it means persecution. And so Jesus speaks of this one person, Anipas. And, and, you know, how many of us know that the longer we live, in our society, the, the harder it is to, to live out our faith. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's difficult in 2018 to, to live out our faith. And Jesus understood that the culture in Pergamum was under the influence of the enemy. And it's no different for us here today. And so what we need to understand is that we literally are in a spiritual battle. And it's not a battle that the word of God says is against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual powers. And so for Pergamum, they, they see these spiritual powers right before them. This is a battle. This is, this is pagan gods against the only true God, Jesus. 
And if, if, if you don't bow to culture's pressure, then you're going to pay for it. And, and we're getting to that point in our society that, that we are going to be faced with persecution for our beliefs, that, that they're not going to be tolerated, that what you stand for and the things that we believe and what we see in the word of God that is true um, is getting to the point to where they are not tolerated, they are not believed in, and so it's getting more and more difficult, and, 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 and we're going to be pointed for what we believe. And uh, what, how that takes place, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that takes place in the future. But we definitely are in a spiritual battle. Can I have an amen for that? We are in a spiritual battle. And so we need to be aware of that. Uh, in 1 John 5.19, we read, um, the author and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we read, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? evil ones. So there, there's this spiritual battle that wander. And so I believe the battle that we face today in America is a cultural one. The battle for us is a cultural one. So what, what do I mean by that? What do I mean that we, we are fighting against a cultural shift that I have never seen the likes of in my 52 years of living on this earth? The cultural shift that has happened over the last five years completely amazes me. Is anybody else with me? I mean, I mean we, we have seen this huge, huge shift. And so the question for us is, will we stand out? Will we be different? And will we stand against the tide? I mean, that's the question for the believers, for the church. Are we going to cave in to the cultural shift? And here's, 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 where we need to, here's where we need to really ask ourselves the question. Because, and this is where I believe the authority of the word of God has to be preeminent in our lives. Because what, what begins to happen is as culture shifts and, and things that may have been wrong 20 years ago are made right today. We have to go back to the word of God because the word of God doesn't change. God's standards do not change. And so we have to look in our lives is, is we have to come back and say, what is God speaking to us and what are God's standards and what are God's requirements for holiness in our lives as believers? Do those things ever change? No. Even though the culture may change, God's standards for these don't change. How we react to that as the body of Christ is very important. Do we just point the finger at the world and say, you're all going to hell and enjoy it? No, we've got to love the world, but we've got to be balanced in the truth and make sure that we're not compromising our standards. So what we have to do as the body of Christ is instead of pointing the finger at the world all the time and saying it's going to to hell in a handbasket, we need to look in the mirror and say, God, you need to purge the things out of my life and make sure that I'm living the way you require me to live through your standards of, of your holy word. Amen? So, so let's, let's look in the mirror and let's love the world because they're lost. Like all of us were at one point. Amen, church? And, and Jesus brings us into that light and shows us his marvelous, marvelous plan and says to us, This isn't the life that I have for you. This life was destructive. 
This life led you astray. The things you did only harmed you. And I'm here to love you, to have you, to cause you to walk in the light so you can know my joy and my freedom, which comes in Christ Jesus. Not to add more rules and regulations to make you uh, become in bondage and, and, and lose freedom. When we are in Christ, we are free. And that's what, that's what Jesus desires for us. So, so are we going to stand out? Are we going to be different? Will we come against the tide? So, so it's literally, for the church, it's going against the flow of, of current popular trends. It's going against that flow, going against, going against the current. And it will take effort for us to, to realize that, to say, we, we, as the body of Christ and the Word, we, we, we will stand and direct conflict to the currents and the trends of our world because we're, we're wanting to follow Jesus. And those teachings aren't going to be popular within the world. So I, I just, I, I love this, this picture of, because I like to fish, of, of salmon going against the current. I, I love how just, I just, you know, you know me, I'm going to have to bring a fishing illustration there somehow. But it amazes me how salmon get back to the place of the beginning to spawn and the obstacles, the waterfalls to, to overcome, to, to come back to the place of their beginnings. It just, it just amazes me how, how they do that. But they're, they're going against the current and the flow, it would be much easier, wouldn't it, just to go with the flow? To kind of go with the current? But they fight all these insurmountable odds to go back to the place of, of, their, of their spawning. And so with the church, we have to realize there are going to be things that we're going to have to stand up for. And, and there are going to be things where you're going to be faced with at your job or with your family. That you're going to have to say, you know what, I, I can't do that. Not to be judgmental, but to say, you know, I can't, I can't do that because it goes against my convictions and who I am as a believer and a follower of Jesus. And that doesn't mean you have to be highbrow. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, belittle other people and make, make them feel less than. But it, it's, it's having a heart-to-heart conversation with people to say, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't. It goes against my conviction. And that's going to be going, that's going to be hard. But that's the world we're living in today. And, and until we begin to say, I have to make this stand, you're going to really begin to see that you're separating yourself from the current trends and the things in this world. And it's going to be harder and harder for the church. So I'm just being honest with you as your pastor. We have to be prepared. And we have to be ready as our culture continues to shift further and further away from um, biblical principles. But here's... Let me give you, boy, you're like, man, it's a sunny day out, Ped. This is a bummer message. Can you liven this thing up a little bit? Here's the good news. Can I give you the good news with all that? I believe with all my heart that the good news becomes good news when people really realize how bad their lives are. And and what's going to happen is you try these things out in the world and you realize they just don't work. And all of a sudden... The attractiveness of the good news and what Jesus Christ has done for us. All of a sudden, people realize this world isn't all that there is. I'm, I, I, am, I am chasing and going down an empty well that has no water. And so the good news for the church is, as we stand, 
for the truth of who Jesus Christ is, it becomes great news for people that are hurting and lost and need a savior. So this is a great opportunity for the church to proclaim the wonderful message of Jesus and what he did for us. Amen. So there's the good news. So, so, so let's, let's jump into the bad news here. Here's the bad news that Jesus gives to the church in in Pergamum and in, in, in Jesus, he sees some in the church at Pergamum compromising their faith. And so he gives a couple of illustrations on, on what they're actually doing. How are they compromising um, their faith? And so what he says is he tells them that some are holding on to the teaching of, uh, teaching of Balaam. So what was Jesus referring to there? Well, the story of Balaam is found in the Old Testament in Numbers uh, 22 through chapter 25, about, about 1400 BC. What's going on here is the... Um, the children of Israel, um, they, they're, they're in the wilderness and they're, they've come out of being in bondage and slavery to Egypt. And so, as you know, the story, they're in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they're traversing through um, the wilderness. And there's this prophet of God named Balaam. And so as the story goes, there's this king and the prophet of who's named Balaam. And this king, who was the king of the Moabites, his name is King Balak. And, and King Balak didn't, didn't like Israel traversing through his land. And so he doesn't like this. He sees this group of people coming through. He doesn't like it. So he calls on this prophet and he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I, I, I don't like Israel moving through the territory and uh, you know they're heading to the promised land. I don't like that. So Balaam, I want you to call down curses upon them. And so what he does is he goes, he goes, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay you well. And so he was going to give him Mercedes trips to Hawaii. I mean, he was going to pay Balak, you know, Balaam, Balak was going to pay Balaam very well to curse Israel. Now, the problem is, as you dig into the story is the prophet said, I, I can't, I can't do it because they're blessed by God. It's going to backfire on me. So this just isn't going to work. So so Balak, Balak tries to seduce Balaam with all kind of riches and uh, to go and curse Israel. And he just says, listen, Balaam knows that he can't go against God. He's like, it's just, it's just, this is just not, not, not going to work. So what happens is this. Instead of cursing Israel, Balaam knows the best way to get at the heart of Israel. And the best way to get at the heart of Israel would to be to cause them to compromise. So Balaam tells Balak, he says, do this, make friends with them. Now, now the Moabites were just a pagan society, worshiping pagan gods. He goes, he goes, seduce them with your pagan gods and your women. And I guarantee you won't have to judge them or you won't have to curse them. You know who will? God will. God will judge them for turning away from him. And you know what happened? That's exactly what happened? They were seduced by the Moabites. So, so Balaam, what he does is he makes friends with Israel. God becomes angry with them. And what happens is Israel got seduced into the Moabite immoral lifestyle. And it led right into this trap. And then because of that, God's anger burned against Israel. So let me give you one, one scripture here. Uh, in Numbers 25 verses 1 and 2. 
it says, while Israel was staying at Shittim, the men began to indulge in what? There you go. Sexual morality with the Moabite woman who invited them to sacrifice to their, their God. So the one compromise led to another compromise, led to another compromise. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. They knew what God required of them through the commandments of God. And what did they do? Boom, just compromise and just completely uh, drop their standards because of the Moabites and they were seduced. And so this is what Jesus is saying. There are some in the church that have been seduced by the pagan culture that was around them. And so what we need to understand is that compromise is a slippery slope. It's, it's small choices. It's those small uh, areas that we justify in, in our life. So we need to understand that integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. That's when you know when you're doing the right thing and integrity shows when you do the right thing when no one's looking. So it comes back to our heart again. I remember I heard the story from Pastor uh, Chuck Swindoll many years ago. He told a story in, in Southern California of, of this guy who goes into a chicken place to get some chicken. And uh, so this guy and this woman go into this chicken place and they order some chicken. They're going to have a picnic lunch. They order this chicken. They get this box of chicken and they go and they have this picnic. So as they're laying out the picnic, they open up the box and they notice that there's $800 in the box. Well, what happened is the people put the proceeds that they're making from the day into this box and they handed it to this guy by mistake. And so this guy just got $800 richer, right? So what does this guy do? Well, uh, the, the people at the chicken place said, there is no way we're ever going to see that money again. So the guy goes back and goes, I got to return this. I can't hold on to this money. So he goes back and he goes to the chicken place and he goes to the manager and goes, listen, I got this box with $800 and I got to give it back. And like, oh my gosh, I can't, we never thought we were going to get the money back. We can't believe it. Listen, we, we, we want to take your picture. We want to put this in the paper. We want to just show this man who just showed so much integrity and so much honesty. We just want, he goes, no, 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 no. I don't want my picture. No, no, don't worry about it. Let me just go. Just, just give me a free piece of chicken and I'm out of here. No, don't, just don't. No, no, no. We got to take your picture. No, we, we like, you know, the manager's like, you're so humble. Don't want your picture. I can't believe, what kind of person are you? And finally, the guy goes, the guy goes to the manager, come over. I got to tell you something. He goes, here's the reason why I don't want you to take my picture. The woman that I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> True story. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our downfall comes from many small compromises. Always remind yourself of that. It's not the big choice, that one choice that, that brings us down. It's all these small little compromises. And that, that's what we saw with Israel. The, the, you know, the king makes friends with them, and then the next thing, one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another, which God's anger burns again, against them. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do we tend to say that we're Christian in name only? You know, because what we can say to ourselves in our compromises, we can say, well, this isn't a big deal. I deserve this. 
I've been working for this company for, for so many years. What's the big deal? You see, compromise will lead down a path that causes us to falsely believe we are something when we really are not. So how do we, how can we make a claim? How can we claim something and then, and then directly violate what God's wor- uh, word is and his will for our life? And that's what compromise does. We, we, we're claiming belief that we're really not practicing. And, and so here was the problem with some in the church in Pergamum. Here, they, they began to think this, that what's the big deal if we practice some of the Roman culture? Or what harm is it if we burn incense to Caesar? Um, what would be the big deal if we declared Caesar as Lord? Because it would make our lives a lot easier. There would be this. So what, really, what is the big deal? Because we could still go with the other believers and claim Christ as our Lord, but then do these other things. What's the, what's the big deal? It'll make our lives a little easier. And, and, and this is, and I, and I want to explain this in a way that doesn't bring condemnation to our hearts here today or guilt, because I, I want us to, to walk in freedom here today. This is what we can say. We can say, well, what's the big deal if we sleep together before we get married? What's the big deal if I drink a little too much? What's the big deal if, if I'm not completely truthful with my taxes or my business practices? Here's, listen to me. The big deal is this. If, if I'm claiming to be a follower of Jesus and then willingly, willingly go against God's will, it's compromise. And, and what I'm doing ultimately is I'm, I'm hurting my relationship with Christ. And really, what it, the, did, did God's anger burn against Israel because they were seduced by the Moabites? Yes, it, it was that because they did compromise. But the reason why God's anger burned was this. They compromised their holiness. You see, God desired for a separate people unto himself. And I want you to realize, people, what's at stake is not, did I do a bad thing? And, okay, the church added another rule. And, okay, this is the reason why I don't want to be a Christian, because of all the rules and regulations. And then people are going to judge me when I do things wrong. That, that's not, let, let's be careful there. What's at stake, God says, is your holiness. Because I want to separate you unto myself so that I can have a relationship with you. And, and when compromise comes into our life, it separates that. that. That's why the Hebrew writer says, keep the marriage bed holy. What, what did he mean by that? Anything that comes between that relationship compromises that relationship. And what compromise literally does, it, it weakens. When something is compromised, it weakens it. If, if an engineer is building something and, 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 and the structure is not sound, or if there's something that's not done correctly, it, it compromises the integrity of that structure. So what, what God is saying here is when compromise comes into our life, it, it, it gets into the structure of our life and it compromises our holiness. What ultimately compromises our relationship with God. And God says, I want to have a relationship with you. And I don't want these things in here that will compromise my relationship with you. I don't want anything to pull that apart because I love you so much. And so God created this people to say, you are mine. I've separated you. I've taken you out of slavery and bondage.
and I've brought you to myself. As a mother hen would bring her chicks to to herself, God says, I've brought you to myself, and I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to call you a nation. I'm going to bring you into this promised land, and you are going to be different. And through you as a testimony, the nations will know that the Lord your God is Lord. That's what's at stake. So we've got to be careful when we begin to say, well, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. Well, the world's doing it. Well, I really love this person. And if I really love them, then, then God would think it's okay. No, we've got to go back to saying, what does God have to say about it? I could actually, we don't have time, but I could actually get into the whole marriage ceremony in the first century and how it was such a display of God's holiness, the whole thing. The whole thing. I'll get into it later. I've got some messages in December I want to talk about, and I'll get deeper into it. I don't have time today, but it just, when I was studying for those messages and how the marriage ceremony, how honoring it was to God, the whole thing, how symbolic it was of God's holiness, is just was tremendous to me. So what's at stake here is our holiness. And so what Jesus says to them is this. He says the, the, the answer here to those who are compromised is repentance. And he says this in verse 16. Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so all repentance is, it's just a change of mind. It's, it's this wrong way of thinking that I have. And it's a change of mind towards God and what he desires for us. I like what Tim Keller says here. He's, author and pastor, was pastor in New York City. He says this, I love this about repentance. He says, repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin. Sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin, sorrow over the grievousness of sin. It melts the heart away from sin and makes the sin itself disgusting to us so that it loses its attractive power over us. And we say this disgusting thing is an affront to the one who died for me. Am I continually to stab him with it? So the promise that Jesus gives to those who overcome in the midst of of persecution is incredible to me. He's saying to those, listen, it's going to be hard. I realize you live in this horrible culture, but I I want you to see something. When you stand for me and you stand against the pressure of the culture to compromise your faith in me, I want you to realize that there are some wonderful rewards that I want you to know that I'm going to provide for those who overcome. And so here are Jesus's promises. Jesus promises to, to take care of them in the midst of persecution. Jesus, I know you're going to go through this, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. I can remember when I was in high school and I came to Christ, I began to follow. I was a freshman in high school, and um, and I remember I go, man, I just don't want to be picked on. That was my big thing as as a follower. I, I just don't want to be picked on. I don't want to be bullied. I don't want to 
People mock me. You know, you're a freshman in high school. You're just trying to get by every day. You're just trying to make it, right? And in our school, you know, it was ninth grade to 12th grade. So you moved up to the, to the, to the, to the, to the big high school. And I go, man, I just, I just don't want to be picked on. And I had a twin sister too. And she was a follower of Jesus too. She became a follower of Jesus about four or five months before I did in our, our freshman year of high school. And I just didn't want to be picked on. And I can remember going to my youth pastor saying, but, you know, what, what if they make fun of me? What if, what, if they, what if I get ostracized? What if I... And I always remember my youth pastor telling me, Barton, Jesus is going to be with you through that. He will. So I said, okay, should I, how should I do this? He goes, you don't, have to get on the, you don't have to get on the cafeteria table and tell everybody you're going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> He goes, live it out through your service of Jesus and don't compromise your faith. So I said, okay. And that's when I started like, you know, carrying my Bible to to school. And I had, I still have that Bible. It's not like this Bible. I actually had Holy Bible on the front of it. So you couldn't mistake that it was a Bible. And I remember when I first started carrying, I'd carry it under my books so no one could see it. And then I started carrying on the outside of my books. And I can remember there were some other Christians there that came up to me and said, Are, is that a Bible? I remember one girl, I was in the library, and I had my Bible out. And um, she, she walked by, and she did like this double take, like, whoa, whoa, what? And she goes, is that a Bible? And I was like, yeah. She goes, really? She goes, she goes Are you a Christian? I said, yeah. She goes, and I began to meet people in my school that I never realized who were Christians. And all of a sudden, we formed this really cool group. We formed a prayer group. And there was comfort with other believers that were in my group, even though, you know, and even though maybe you would get ostracized. And people would, you know, would make fun of you. It wasn't terrible. But, but I remember how much my faith grew and how much I felt Jesus walking with me through that because I was a brand new Christian. And here's what Jesus says. He says, for those who overcome, I'll give you two things. I'm going to give you hidden manna, and I'm going to give you a white stone. Now, what does this mean? Well, the hidden manna, we understand the manna was given to the Israelites in the desert to actually keep them alive. It was this miracle bread. It was, what is it? We don't know what it is. It's just this, it's this stuff that is in the morning dew, and we're going to collect it, and we're going to eat it each day. And, and you don't save any, because if you do, you're going to, it's going to, be rotten just for the Sabbath, it can stay. But the hidden manna means this for those who are being persecuted. He said, Jesus will provide for us even in persecution and trials. He said, I'm going to provide for you. Just like I provided for you in the death. When you knew absolutely no way how you were going to eat, I provided for you this miracle bread, this miracle manna. And so he says, I'm going to provide for you this manna, and I will be with you through your persecution. But then he said this. He said, but also I'm going to give you a white stone. And he said, I'm going to give you this white stone. And basically, they would understand in their culture that um, the white stone was given to those who were victorious in the athletic games and actually was a ticket into banquets and special events. Also, another interesting thing about the white stone, it was actually given... Uh, to use by jurors at a trial to signify an acquittal. And so Jesus says, 
With this stone, I give you a new name. You are no longer guilty. And you have entrance into my kingdom. See, the new name meant a new life, a new identity. That no matter what you may face, no matter what persecution you may face, you are mine. And no one can take away this stone. Not persecution, not Satan himself. You are mine. So the white stone is a reminder that you are now God's possession. The white stone is a reminder to us that what's at stake when compromise comes our way. So that's why I gave you the white stone. I, I, want you to, I want this to be a reminder to you that you are now God's possession and that Jesus is going to be with you. That when compromise comes your way and you, and you want to do something that you know is out of God's will, I want you to remind yourself of the white stone saying, wait, 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 no, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I know this is not good because I'm God's possessions. I'm Jesus' possession. And I don't want anything to come in between my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask yourself, when compromise comes your way, always ask yourself, is it worth it? Because every choice, every choice we make, whether good or bad, has a consequence. And ask yourself, is it worth it? And Jesus says, when you follow me, it is worth it. You have entrance into my kingdom. You are now mine. You are now in my hands. Death persecution, nothing in this world can now separate you from my love. That's the hope we have in Christ Jesus. So as you walk through your walk and you live your life and just realize this, you are God's possession. When you are in Christ Jesus, you are God's possession. And so I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know maybe what things you've allowed into your life. Jesus says, come back. The good news is repentance. Jesus does forgive us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's the good news. And realize this too. You are not alone. People, I can't stress this enough. We need each other. That's why we need to be in groups. That's why it's important to come to church. That's why it's important to be part of a small group. Because how many know life stinks at times? And it's so great to call another brother or sister when you're going through a difficult time and to say, man, I'm undergoing some really rough stuff. Can you pray for me? And knowing that you have that other, just like me in high school, knowing that there was my sister and these other believers in our high school that we got together, it made high school a lot better. I'll tell you that. It did. Not that it wasn't easy, but it made it a lot better because we had other people that we could lean on. And that's what the church is all about, right? That we can lean on each other when we traverse through this very difficult world and through this culture. 
that we can still be a light for Jesus Christ in our world. Amen. So I want to pray for you today. We're going to close in song today, and I want this song just to be your prayer today unto the Lord, that God would renew our love for him. And if there's anything that is in our life that is separating us from God, that we know that there's some compromise in our life, that we would lay that at Jesus' feet, and that we would have a change of mind in that area and allow Jesus to forgive and to heal us and to restore that relationship with us. So, Father God, as we just bow our hearts to you, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would remind us of who we are in you. That during our times of trial and difficult circumstances, you give us that manna to sustain us. You are that bread of life. That you give us that white stone to show us that we are now yours, that our names have changed, that we now identify with Jesus Christ, that we're no longer associated with our past. We're no longer chained to our past, but in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. Behold, all things become new. Thank you for that promise. I need to hear that today, Jesus. Because our past can creep up on us in so many ways and make us feel so defeated But I want every person to look at that white rock to say, but I have a new name. I'm a new creation. And I'm not going to listen to the enemy. And I'm not going to listen to to how he tries to bring up my past against me. But in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. So help us to find our identity and our identity alone in you, Jesus. That you take all our brokenness and all our pain and you use it for your glory. Thank you for using us and using our brokenness for you, Jesus. You're so good. You're such a perfect Savior in every way. So as we just sing this last song unto you, Jesus, I pray you just restore our hearts again. Renew our commitment to you as the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you never leave us or forsake us, that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from your wonderful love. We just ask these things in your name.